0: It's really great to be here with you this evening and we're continuing our radical welcome series that we've been following through the summer. And this evening we're gonna be chatting about what it means to welcome the most in need. And this will mean different things to all of us when you think the most in need, different kinds of elements of personalities and complications that people face are going to spring to mind. But I'm going to narrow the demographic for the purposes of this evening. And what I'd really love to focus on is how all of us can gain a bit of confidence in engaging specifically with people who are homeless here in Nottingham. I've been working for Grace Church for five and a half years now uh, within our social justice and it's a real privilege and it's a joy and it's my heartbeat and my passion doing that. So it's a real treat this evening to be able to explore, have a look at a story from the Bible as to what Jesus might be asking of us and challenging us this evening within um, this group of people who are loved by God, who are precious to God and who God has real power to come in and change lives and make things better for people. So we're going to do that in just a moment. We run quite a lot of stuff here at the church, which I'm going to touch on, but I don't want to focus on what our ministries are. What I really pray and would love is for all of us this evening to understand God's heart for people and to understand his principles for us as his disciples towards people, and for all of us as well to gain a little bit more confidence in being able to do something one step further than what we've been able to do in the past. And we're gonna use a story from the Bible, which I'm just about to read, um, in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. You may know it, it's called The Parable of the Good Samaritan. You may be very familiar with it. It's got loads of good stuff in it for us this evening. And the background to this story is that Jesus is talking to a lawyer, a religious lawyer, an expert in the law. He knows how to be a great Jew. And they were talking about how to inherit eternal life through loving God and loving our neighbour. And in response to the question, but who is my neighbour? This is the story that Jesus told. So we'll read. Uh, This is the NIV translation. Words will be up. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So I wonder where you might find yourself in this story this evening. I'm sure a lot of us would aspire to be the good Samaritan, be doing everything right, be very merciful and wise and gracious on the spot. But I think where we begin is actually as the beaten up man. God has made each human being with very special, specific care. We are made in his likeness to reflect him, to have lives which are filled and fulfilled by him. But every single one of us, without exception, are in dire need <laughs> of the help of God. We are totally dependent upon God, whether we know it or not, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Your heart is beating because God has made your brain to keep your heart beating, and he has reminded you (laughs) to keep on breathing. And this is the truth. We're completely dependent upon God for our functioning processes that keep us alive. And we're totally dependent upon him for who we are, for our complicated personalities, for the things that we love and are good at. He's given those things to us. So when we strip away all of the things that we think we have done for ourselves or earned for ourselves or achieved ourselves, and remember actually all of it is a gift from God, we are left in our truest state, which is the most in need. It's a real privilege to be sending off Ben and Becca. Not that it's a joy, because it's not. We're going to miss you loads. But it's wonderful to know that you're going to be over in Malawi. You're going to be living the dream, serving the church, getting to know loads of cute kids. Ben's going to learn how to dance. So it's going to be great. Yep. But one of the things I really enjoy about being in Malawi is the reminder that it's so good to be grateful to God for everything that he's given to us. Not take it for granted that we've got food in our cupboard, probably, that we've got breath in our lungs. Like People in Malawi pray and thank God for being alive. They're thankful to God for health. They're thankful for God for um, money for the minibus to get into church on a Sunday morning. And it's always a little bit of a shock when you're there just to remember, oh, wow, yeah, I should be grateful for so much because God has given us so much. And when we begin to listen in our minds, even today... What are you thankful to God for today? Like James was saying in his prayer, like God is nice to us practically. He's given us stuff today to enjoy. Like I was thankful this morning for my breakfast of bran flakes and granola. I had that for dinner as well. <laughs> a double blessing. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and as well as practical provision. God has given us a deeper, eternal, spiritual provision. He has given us new life, which we were singing and talking about in our worship time. And before he gave this to us, we were spiritually broke. We were completely without. We were hopeless. We could not help ourselves. We could not drag ourselves up into eternal life and faith in God. We were unable to do that. We were, in our souls, homeless, homeless. We were addicted to self and trying to make life work for ourselves. We were unable to change. But on that wonderful day when we thought, I've made this great decision in asking Jesus into my heart, what happened is he came in and started to sort us out and he took us from spiritual poverty into immeasurable wealth. There's now nothing in our lives that we can't bring to our Heavenly Father and say, Help! and he will provide for us. That's his promise, that's his guarantee. So we were like the beaten up man, alone in need of help by someone else. And we have in our story, that someone else is this Samaritan guy who I think shows us three principles this evening as we begin to think about how we can welcome the most in need. So the number one thing we find in verse 33, and it says a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So the Samaritan noticed the bleeding naked guy, probably we all would if we were walking along a path and saw that in front of us, but he had a choice to make that the other two guys before him didn't make. And his choice was to take pity and have compassion. And that's what he did. So that's the first thing for us this evening. But we can face a bit of a challenge within ourselves. Like if we saw a beaten up naked person, we'd probably be quite keen to get on the phone and call an ambulance and help them out however we can. And the, the guy in the story here he's seemingly innocent isn't he like robbers have come and attacked him and he's done nothing wrong and um, you can clearly see someone is to blame for this and we must help but when we encounter people here in our city there's such complicated lifestyles and complicated problems and it's really hard to know how you're meant to feel and what on earth you're meant to do People have long, long backstories of rejection and neglect and drug addiction and family breakdown and lack of education and mental health conditions, and the list goes on and on and on. And because of this, it can be really difficult to know how to respond. It can be really easy to try and find someone to blame. And as we do that, our compassion levels take a bit of a downer. And even if you're naturally wired to care about people, there's still a decision to be made. It still is an effort. I was um, five years old when it became apparent that I really care about this. (laughs) I um, was insistent on my uh, school friend, Emma, who was the really stinky girl in the class that she should come to my birthday party. And uh, I dragged my mum to go to her house and meet her parents and make sure, Emma must be invited to my party, because I could not bear the thought that she wasn't gonna come. And so she, I don't know if anyone's a child of the 80s here, but you remember the sleeves on dresses. (laughs) Emma came in this old bridesmaids dress, purple, shiny, with massive sleeves with lace around them. And this was the first birthday party she'd ever been to. And it was precious to me, and it was precious to her. Since then, I've lived in Uganda and done voluntary work for 16 months. I work with homeless begging people and with street children. Um, and my job is revolving around the most in need here in Nottingham, how to love and care for people. So on the passion level, like I'm, I know I've got a heart for this. And yet, nine times out of ten, I don't want to do it. This is a leveler for us. (laughs) You may not feel the same way that I do. We all have an effort to make and we all have a decision to make. So we're all in the same boat this evening. So if you're thinking she's talking about that, but she loves it, that's not me. We all have a challenge here from Jesus today. And what we can learn from the Samaritan is to look beyond the complications, the reasons why, and just see the person So the lawyer, this expert in the law, who was listening to Jesus tell this story, would have assumed that the Samaritan would be the last person on the planet to help this guy. There were massive cultural and religious disagreements. And the point of Jesus' story, although it does teach us some nice things here this evening, the point was to shock this lawyer into realizing that he could not love his neighbor He could not inherit eternal life. He could not overcome his discrimination if his neighbor was a Samaritan. That's the point. Jesus was bringing him face to face with his need of God's mercy and his help. And God is capable of rescuing us from our own discrimination And he is capable of rescuing any person from any lifestyle and any problem and any background into something glorious. We can have ridiculous levels of faith in God because he is able, he is capable, he is loving, he's merciful, he's powerful, he has authority. When we read stories like in Mark chapter 5 of the demon-possessed man, do you remember? The guy living out in the tombs and yelling and cutting himself and many displays of what we would probably call mental health conditions today, although in that instance it was demon possession. God totally transformed his life through an encounter with Jesus, and that can and does happen today as well. Our job is not to try and choose who should deserve to be rescued by God. Our job is to see the person. Our job may be at some point down the line to ask questions as to why people are in the position they are in. But that's not the first thing we should be concerned about. It's see the person. We need to nip our cynicism in the bud and stop and say hello and have compassion. The second thing that the Samaritan teaches us, we find in verse 34... And this is around meeting immediate needs. So it says in that verse, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So he did what he could in the moment to help the guy. Wine, uh, not that he would have known the science, but wine has antiseptic qualities. So he'd have known, oh, cleaning a wound with this stuff seems to help. But that's what it was. And oil is really good to rub on uh, ouchy bits, and it creates a bit of relief there. So he did what he could. But that was of a cost to him. That was his wine and his oil, his cloths that he made into bandages. It interrupted his journey. It took his time. And it even cost him a bit of his safety as well. It was a big effort, and it was overwhelmingly the right thing to do. So when we meet people in town... It can be a challenge to know what their immediate needs are and therefore what on earth we should do about it. But there's a couple of things that we can do. Offer to buy a coffee. Ask how many sugars. (laughs) Don't be scared when the number is astronomical. Like, I've had 16 sugars before now. I mean, what is the point? I normally stop at about three and no one has been able to tell the difference yet, so. (laughs) No, put as much sugar in as they want. (laughs) If you don't have money on you, or that's not what you're able to do, then don't, that's fine. Probably a chat is of more value than a coffee anyway. Hang out for one minute, ask a question, listen, chat with people. Loneliness is often the immediate need, so you can meet that. We have had advice from support workers who work with homeless people, from police who work with homeless people, and even from people who have been homeless and aren't anymore, um, and that advice is don't give cash. This is hard, because it's what people ask for, and it's the easiest thing, frankly, for us to do is fling a quid and then leg it, and feel like you've done something. But we've been advised time and again, don't do that. It can be as cheap as a quid for drugs here in Nottingham, I'm not saying that every homeless person is on drugs, but a lot do use drugs. And it's very easy to overdose on the bad stuff that costs a pound and none of us would want to know that we had in any way had a part to play in that. So advice strongly, don't do it, but buy coffee, buy lunch, go to Greg's, it's amazing, the sausage rolls, brilliant, you can do that. You may be aware that we run a food bank here at the church on a Monday and a Thursday, a little whoop. This is our um, meeting immediate needs here as a church. So people can come, they can receive a parcel of food, which is intended to last for half a week. And we've got an army of volunteers who are really, really good at listening to people and asking the right questions and signposting people onto where they might want to visit next for another bit of help. It's a really friendly environment. It's quite unlike other food banks and very unlike the job center or probation or other places that people have to visit and go to. And our team is made up of a lot of people who used to attend the food bank, who are now helping with the food bank. And their prayer is often, God, I pray that people will leave here with a smile. And so often people come in in utter despair, wondering what on earth has happened, that they need to be in a food bank, and they feel mortified. But so often people do leave with a smile, having received a bit of care and friendship from the guys here, which leads me to say, if ever you want to come by (laughs) and drop in and see what happens, Monday or Thursday, you're so welcome, you're not committing your life to us, but just come in and see what we're doing as a church, if you have any time on those days. And I've lost count of the number of times Pete and other volunteers at the food bank have been like, I prayed for somebody to receive the Lord at the drop-in cafe. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) So guys can hear what a difference it makes having Jesus in your life. People know that they have need, and they know that they need someone to come and help them. So it's amazing, a food bank, come and get eternal life. Great. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) We have another staggering reason as to why we should meet immediate needs. And this is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 to 40. And this is Jesus. He says that when we give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty, when we invite a stranger in, when we give clothes to people who need them and help people who are unwell and visit people in prison, we are serving Jesus It's amazing that Jesus relates so closely to people who are most in need. Just imagine that he's sitting here next to Becca, that Jesus, the risen, glorious Lord who has saved us all into a life of blessing, if he was here, is there anything you wouldn't do to serve him? Probably not. And yet, what he asks us is when we see people, his brothers and sisters, We are to serve them as if we're serving him, and he accepts it as praise to him. Wow, what an opportunity to serve our Lord in the face of other people. It doesn't sound to me much like that is an optional discipleship extra, if you've got a bit of heart for it. That is Jesus saying, when you do this, you are serving me. This is something all of us can grow in. So the final thing, the third thing that the Samaritan teaches us this evening is to look to the longer-term support of the person in front of us. So in the last bit of verse 34 and 35, it says this. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So the road where we find these guys between Jerusalem and Jericho is about 17 miles long and I've been there. There ain't nothing there. It's like blinding white stones and desert and absolutely nothing. And it was a notoriously dangerous place um, to be. There's lots of big rocks for baddies to hide behind, which is what the guy in the story encountered. And the Samaritan, big time, risked his own safety by stopping for the guy and by getting him on his own donkey and walking potentially the best part of 17 miles with an injured guy. He then nursed the man himself. He got his hands dirty. He got involved. He laid out money so the man could continue to be looked after. The money, two denarii, is about two days' wages. So it's not a small amount for a guy who's looking after a complete stranger. And he promised more, if more was owing. And I'll just take us back to what our place is in this story as the beaten up man. And as we read more about what this good Samaritan, Jesus, has done for this poor beaten up man, it gives us more reason to love him and to worship him this evening Jesus got his hands dirty in our lives, in bandaging us up, in pouring on the most precious wine, his blood, and pouring out the most precious oil, his Holy Spirit, to heal us and to redeem us and to bring us into long-term recovery. He risked his own safety to the point of death and he paid the ultimate price for us in his life so that we might be welcomed by God forever and ever into eternal life, into heaven. So the principle here for us is to look to the longer term support and care of people. It can feel very daunting because we don't know what that looks like. And we certainly probably don't have it within ourselves to provide that. But that's not what I think we need to go away with. We are not the providers of new life. <laughs> we are not the rescuers. We are not the one stop shop for everything you need. So you're off the hook, don't assume that. But we know the one who is able to transform lives, the one who is able to offer ultimate help. And it's only through knowing and loving God anyway that you can have any kind of fullness of life and fulfillment. And it's only when the most in need come to God that they can find the most help. So that is our job. It's to direct people back to the one who loves them and made them and has better for them. There's about 45 people sleeping rough in Nottingham every night. There's lots of people trying to help. There's lots of good charities and agencies and support workers who are trying to engage with people so that they can get off the streets and into something better. Often it doesn't work. I met a guy called Adam just last week on my way into work here. Uh, Lots of health conditions, some mental health, drug addiction, he's been homeless for a few months, he's tried with Framework and other agencies, but it's just not worked for him. He hasn't been ready or able or willing to engage in what longer-term support could look like. And it was the same in Uganda, with playing around with these cute street kids, like, amazing, and yet they didn't wanna go to school, even if I was like, I'll pay for you, you can go. They weren't interested. They didn't want to find a house. They didn't want to be looked after. you, You just cannot help people who are not ready to be helped. You can't do it. It's the same in Nottingham. What we can do is we can pray to God to give someone that desire to want to step forwards in their lives. Three and a half years ago, we launched a midweek service here at Grace Church on a Wednesday, 12 o'clock. I know some of you have been. It's great. Um, It's similar-ish to a Sunday in that we kind of sing and read the Bible, try and apply it to our lives. But what's different is then we have an amazing lunch afterwards. Um, (laughs) We really want to build community and eating is central to that. And we've seen God do some amazing things on Wednesdays. Like often the times of worship are so deep and profound. Through very, very simplistic prayers, you just feel the weight of God's presence suddenly boom in the room. like oh. And people, guys who just haven't connected with their emotions for years, leg it because they can't cope with the fact that God is bringing feelings back into their hearts again. And we see people miraculously healed of physical stuff because... It hurts, and God can help, so we'll pray, and then God helps. like, yay! Like Some of the prophetic stuff that's come through is just the most razor shot that I've ever known in my life. One little story. Uh, We have visiting speakers quite often on on a Wednesday, people who've had a life in God, who've had a bit of a background, and God has broken through and done something amazing, and it's really relevant for guys on a 12 o'clock to listen to those. And this one guy called Mike... Um, He felt the Tuesday before he came on the Wednesday, God told him to get his watch out of his drawer because he was going to need it on the Wednesday. So he got out of bed, got the watch out, like, oh, remember to bring it. So he brought it on the Wednesday, and he was up the front, and he was telling his story, and then he stopped. And he pointed at a guy, and he said, would you mind just coming up here for a second? So one of the guys called Duncan, he got up to the front, and Mike brought out his watch and said... "Um, God told me to give this to you and say, the time is now. And I don't know what that means. There you go. But what he didn't know was that a couple of months before Duncan had been baptised, because he'd seen a clock on Maid Marian Way on St. Nick's Church that says, um, now is the time to seek the Lord. And something just shifted in him, like, boom, I need to take this seriously. I need to get baptised. And stuff like that is just, can you imagine the weight of that just falling on people who need God to speak? It's just amazing. We run a literacy program here at the church for people who didn't get on so well at school, who can't read, who want to apply for jobs, but you kind of need to be able to read and write and to read the Bible for themselves. We run a men's discipleship group for 8 to 10, 12 people from the 12 o'clock service who want to know what it means to be a Christian and how to align their lives with the principles of God. When God gets involved, anything is possible. But a couple of very practical things that you and me can do as we look to having compassion, meeting immediate needs, and then looking to longer-term support for people is, number one, these cards they say we are open on them and we've made thousands of them so that we can all take a bundle and shove them in our pockets or handbags and what these have on them is times of when our food bank is open which is a lunch club as well people can come and eat free stuff and when our 12 o'clock service is on a Wednesday as well this is to help all of us just have a bit more confidence to like do you want to come to this thing (laughs) so um yeah, we've made thousands. I encourage you to take some and use them. In a perfect world, you would be able to give these out tomorrow. And um, These actually have times of October, Food Bank, because we're changing our days a little bit. So feel free to grab some, but just hold fire for a few weeks. <laughs> or nearer the time, I think it, as October comes, I'll just do a sneaky little reminder, like, grab some cards. And there's the time to start dishing them out to anybody that. You... I want to see these on the floor in town, because we've been giving them out. yeah? So go for it. These are up for grabs. So that's one very practical thing you can take. The second thing is you can pray that as you bump into someone as you spend that minute together, get their name and pray that God brings them to a point of wanting to take a step forwards in their lives. God can do anything. It's a gift from God to have that initial desire to want to step forward. So let's be praying that people get that quickly so that they can get on with things. Can you imagine how the atmosphere will change in Nottingham if we start doing this? Can you imagine if every rough sleeper gets talked to by a Christian every day and gets prayed for by name every day? It would change things. We're starting a mentoring program for our 12 o'clockers where I'd love to invite you to see if you want to be involved. We want um, to meet up once a week, one-to-one, with someone who wants to know what it means to be a Christian, read the Bible, pray a bit, that kind of thing. And also, how do you get your life a little bit more in line with the principles of God? If you've got an hour a week for a few months, I'd love to hear from you. There's lots of people who could do with knowing you. So, back to the beginning. We have received amazing help from God when we needed him the most and when we continue to need him, like Chris was saying, we've been redeemed and we are being redeemed every single day. Jesus, the ultimate good Samaritan, has told us to go and do likewise. So by doing these three things, we can begin to make a start. And we may be hearing some really good stories in the future, Like a guy who had been homeless for 16 years, he'd been a drug addict, he started coming to the food bank, he started volunteering, he came to the 12 o'clock service and became a Christian, he got baptized, and then he got employed by radiant cleaners upstairs in his first ever job. We could be hearing more stories like that, which would be amazing. But, little warning label, Most of the time, these encounters that you have are going to be disappointing (laughs) and hard work and you're going to wonder why you bothered and you're going to feel rejected and think, I'm not going to do that again. Keep going. The person before you is worth it and as you serve them, you are serving Jesus. Jesus faced more rejection than you and I will ever know. And yet he kept going. He made the effort with the one. He made the effort with you. So keep going. Have confidence. Feel your faith rise as you remember that God can do absolutely anything.